great moments are born from great opportunity. Last name ever, first name greatest. Like a sprained ankle, boy, ain't nothing to play with. Again. But before you can ever reach anything, you have to believe it. You don't just mistakenly become great at something. Now go out there and take it. Back on the Wally and Owen show here on 88.9 WNYO, the Laker Radio Network. Matt Wilding, Luke Owens, a Wednesday edition of the Wally and Owen show. A lot to talk about, Luke. A lot going on in the world of sports and really especially in New York. We've got the Yankees winning game one. Henrik Lundqvist finally and officially, I should say, bought out by the New York Rangers. That was a story and a, or not a rumor, but almost a, a fait accompli that would occur at the end of the season with the rise of Igor Shosturkin and Alexander Georgiev. We'll get to that in a moment. The, the Jets also playing on Thursday night. They might win a game. It's, yeah, it's a I mean, pick It's possible. It's possible. They're not it's, an underdog. And it's a lot, the there's, a lot there's a lot of injuries going on. There's a lot of injuries going on in that well. game. And as you texted me this morning, Luca, stacked odd man rush at 1235. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to brag. I mean, you had a good odd man rush on Monday, but let's be honest, Monday is a layup. I mean, you have a full slate of NFL mm-hmm. games the day before. Wednesday is really... Wednesday and this week will be Friday, but th- that third day is tough as well. So yeah. I'm trying to t- trying to bridge the gap here on Wednesday. The Thursday is really tough when you when you look at it because you don't you have that you don't really have any time in between. Just the Wednesday night stories, some of the ones from the Wednesday morning that don't make the cut. And as you alluded to, Luke, tomorrow we will not have our show. Instead, it will be on a Friday from twelve to one. So if one if we want to pick the Jets game, we got to pick it today. Yeah, I'm going to stay that. away from that. Uh, I mean, you tried to go Thursday night last week. Didn't really work out didn't too work. well for you with the Jags getting smacked. But good news. Friday, we, we get to uh, preview Bills and Giants, and we get to discuss the Jets' electric Thursday night game. That might be the worst game in all of this entire season with Brett Rypian. I'm definitely butchering his name wrong. Third-string quarterback for the Broncos. Um, but we'll start with the Yankees, the the one good team in New York. They they beat down on Cleveland 12-3. to They take a one nothing series lead, and of course they can clinch a spot in the divisional series with a win tonight, with the series being best of three, as opposed to a five or a one game like we've seen in the past. And as you kind of mentioned, Luke, before the show, everything just went right for the Yankees. You expected Garrett Cole to be dominant. You know, maybe he wasn't dominant giving up two runs, but 13 strikeouts in seven innings is exactly what you want from Garrett Cole. More importantly, you win the game, but also... You know, he can afford to give up those runs when you think about it. You had a 2-0 lead right off the bat, and it almost felt like Cole wasn't necessarily taxing his body as much as you expect in a, in a one nothing or, or a no-score game like some people might have expected. Yeah, and really there was no point in this game where it felt like the Yankees were going to lose. I mean, right off the bat, you have uh, LeMahieu get on base, and you have Judge hit a two-run shot. By the time it's 2 nothing, it almost feels like it's game over because you have Garrett Cole on the mound. You know, he does have two runs, but 13 strikeouts over seven innings. I mean, it's just so big. And I've said it throughout, you know, the the end of the year, and it's going to be so huge in the playoffs. But for the Yankees to finally have that true ace, which they really haven't had in the playoffs since really 2009 when CC Sabathia was still kind of in his prime and a couple of years after that. But it seems like every single year for the Yankees has been like, who's going to be the game one starter? Is it going to be Luis Severino in years past? Is it going to be Tanaka, James Paxton? So many guys that are kind of more of number two to three starter types. And to have Garrett Cole go out there, give you seven innings, 
he allows two runs. But I mean, a solo home run is not going to kill you. And that uh, RBI double by Ramirez is kind of expected. You know, Jose Ramirez is going to get his in the series. He's, you know, a candidate for AL MVP. He's going to have a good series. But for the Yankees to finally have that true ace, a guy that you give the ball to every five days and expect him to go out and win you a game is just so big. And I think that also kind of improves the confidence of the whole team around him. It really does. And it just takes a, a load off of everybody on this team. And it makes it a lot easier. You don't have to worry about coming back for a lead. And, Again, I think that home run by, by Aaron Judge was so important in the first inning. It didn't rattle Beaver as much as maybe you might have expected, but it just, it kind of, at least for Yankees fans and probably the Yankees, you know, you kind of took a step back, were able to breathe a little bit, which is so important. And just a real laundry list of home runs. It was Judge, Glaber, Gardner, Stanton. And then Torres going four for four was so big for the Yankees. He's a guy that kind of slowed down towards the end of the season for him to come back up and really start to pick things up is, is vital for this team because he was pretty much this season, aside from LeMahieu, could have been an MVP candidate, especially last year at least. You know, a Yankees MVP, I should say. Yeah, and for this lineup, I mean, everyone gets a hit besides Aaron Hicks that started, and Hicks had two walks and two runs scored. You know, one through nine, everyone produced. When you look at Shane Bieber, coming into this game, he'd allowed 14 earned runs all season long. He lets up seven earned runs yesterday. I mean, he's a great pitcher, and for the Yankees' offense to tag him like that is a good sign going forward. You know, I, I thought the Yankees would win this series, and game one is just so big in a three-game series because you don't want to have your backs up against the wall after just one game. You know, at least in the, the ALDS or the ALCS, if you lose game one, you, you've got some time to recover. But to win game one is just so big, and to see the lineup really firing on all cylinders, it's huge because we talked about this lineup being, you know, this death lineup, you know, the evil umpires back and all that. And to see them actually perform and actually produce is a really good sign moving forward, especially into, into tonight's game. So to get that momentum in game one is, is just so big. And one guy to really look at, you have to think, is a guy in Brett Gardner who just was really, really solid, really impressed for the Yankees. And that's not necessarily something you expected out of Gardner. He was hitting something like 400 in the last week of the season. At the end of the day, he goes, what is it, three for five with two runs, three RBIs and a strikeout. That's not what you expect, but also, if I'm sitting here and you're looking at Clint Frazier, you know, maybe he deserved the nod as opposed to Gardner. Yeah, and that's kind of what my whole thing was. And I, I got I to gotta issue a, an apology. I was wrong about Gardy for last night, but I think in general, I mean, you know, Gardy was hot down the stretch, but at the end of the day in the playoffs, you got to play your best guys. And I still think Clint Frazier is better at the game of baseball than Brad Gardner at this point in his career. I understand Gardner a touch better defensively, and he did show up last night, so... I mean, I think there's a good chance that Gardner's right back in the lineup tonight. But, you know, for Aaron Boone, why come out a few weeks ago and say Clint Frazier is going to be your starting left fielder at fully healthy if you're not going to actually do it? And I understand Gardner was healthy, but it's just kind of one of those head scratchers where why why would you say anything at all at that point if you're just going to kind of backtrack and change your mind uh, going into game one? But again, Gardner, veteran guy. He has been hot down the stretch. I don't want to see him in there every day. I have to say that. I mean, I, I, I do still think Clint Frazier is a touch better of an option. But great game one for Brett Gardner. Maybe you want that that veteran leadership kind of taking over. Again, this team doesn't have a lot of winners. You've got, you know, in terms of World Series, you know, they've won a lot of regular season games. But really the championship player on this team is Gardner back in 2009. And, you know, maybe it's overstated a little bit what that brings to a team. But they seem to need it. This team that's so hot and cold that has been so up and down these last couple of weeks, especially, you know, maybe you want that veteran leadership. But... To, to me, the biggest story out of this team and is Kyle Higashioka. What happens in game two today? Does he get the start? 
Where does Gary Sanchez get it? Pagashioka going one for five in the nine spot of the lineup, which is not great, but he's also not a, a great hitting catcher. He's just a good defensive guy that has some offensive capabilities. We saw it really for most of this season, but you can't expect him going, you know, three for five, two for five every single game. Yeah, I think that's just the trade-off that the Yankees have. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if Higashioka gets to start again tonight because when you look at the numbers of this Yankees uh, pitching staff, they all pitch significantly better with Higashioka behind the plate, you know. Some of that has to do with framing, but a lot of it has to do with just pitchers are weird. They have weird superstitions. Analytics can't back anything up when it comes to a personal catcher, but for some reason, Garrett Cole likes pitching to Kyle Higashioka, and if, if that's what he likes and that's when he's rolling, I think you keep it going. And same with Masahiro Tanaka, who's looked pretty solid with uh, Higashioka behind the plate as well. So, you know, Gary Sanchez, the way he's produced offensively has really been a negative this year for the Yankees. So, as long as he's not swinging a hot bat, I really don't see any problem with starting Higashioka because, you know, Stanton maybe has more capabilities of hitting a home run in certain spots and, and stuff like that. But if your pitching staff likes rolling with Higgy, Sanchez really hasn't produced offensively to the point where he deserves to start a game over Higgy. But if that if that's the case and you play Higashioka in game two, do you just never play Sanchez? Do you pinch hit with Sanchez? When, do you, when does he get... A start and Higashioka is thirty years old. This is pretty much his first season in the majors. You know, you know, he had Romine before him that was kind of blocking Higashioka for most of his career. Can he be your everyday catcher moving forward? And that's obviously way in advance. And, and right now, the only thing this team is worried about is winning baseball games, obviously. But how do you call it quits on Sanchez when he's been here for so many years? This the that that that, that, that breaking point. And if it is, you have to move on from him this offseason. Yeah, and I don't I don't know if this is necessarily the Yankees pushing aside Gary completely. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts tonight. You save Higgy for a Game 3 situation, but I think it's going to be really playing a game but by why game. Why are we for saving? Aaron, sorry to cut you off. Why are we saving Higashioka? Why does he need to be saved? Like, well, if, if you think he gives you the best chance to win, then you should play him every single game. And I, and I right. guess the and, might be if he wants to get rested, but this is Game 2 of the playoffs. Like, I get you're playing every single day for the first week or so of the of, this, of the playoffs, but I don't know if you can afford to lose game two, you know, and, and put Sanchez in if you want to save your better catcher. And I'll put that in air quotes because I don't know who is the better catcher at this point. You know, Sanchez has the, the power and the offensive capabilities, but you want to win this game because in game three, you don't want J-Hap starting. You'd much rather save him for a game one situation where you have that bigger margin for error. Well, maybe saving wasn't the right term. The term I probably should have said was just, I think they're just going to play it kind of game by game. Like, I think Sanchez, he's not undeserving of a start, but he's not undoubtedly the starter. There really is, like you said, there's no clear starter in this situation. Like, if Gary Sanchez starts tonight, I think that's a fine, I think that's a fine choice because, you know, he gives you a little bit more with the bat, you know, maybe a little bit less defensively. But also I could see Hagee starting because he seems to have the comfort of the Yankees starting staff. And if you're willing to sacrifice what's – it's usually an automatic out with Higashioka. You know, he's not going to light up, light it up. He had a three-home run, uh, three run game earlier in the year, but on a daily basis, he's not going to light it up. So if you're kind of willing to sacrifice a few outs offensively to kind of help uh, your starting pitcher, then that's a fine decision as well. I, I don't think either is a clear choice at this point is, is really what it boils down to. What's the decision you would make, you know, if you were a guy in Aaron Boone that had to make this decision? I think you go with Higgy tonight. I, I just think the way that he's kind of dealt with his pitching staff, he's done a really good job, and they seem really comfortable with him. And, again, that's something you can't really put into 
an analytic box as we usually can do with baseball. I think you have to play Higashioka because it just seems like if you start Sanchez, too many things can go wrong where if Tanaka gets lit up, maybe you're saying, oh, well, he's not as comfortable with Gary Sanchez. He would have preferred to have Higashioka start. And, you know, if Sanchez then strikes out four times at the plate, there's that as well. So I think with Higashioka, you have less risk, maybe a higher, uh, a less high ceiling because Gary does still have some pop in his bat, I think. But uh, if I'm Aaron Boone, I think you have to start Higashioka once again tonight. Yeah, and I think, but again, the, the question comes down to when do you play Sanchez at that point? And, well, you know, I don't know the answer. I think it's an interesting discussion to have because you obviously are going to have to give guys off days at some point or, or, you know, maybe you don't. Maybe you throw out analytics and say this is the playoffs, we need to win games. But I, I do agree with you in the sense that Higashioka, if you think he gives you the best chance to win, you've got to start him in game two and hope that you get you don't get to a game three because that one off day could save your entire team and your bullpen for the AFS, where we can now play five straight games if you have to. Yeah, we're going to see Gary, especially if the Yankees advance. I mean, with five straight games, the catcher position especially, you're going to see them, uh, you know, alternate days or maybe Higgy gets game one and two, Sanchez gets game three. But the, the big thing about having Sanchez off the bench is in a late situation where you need a bigger hit, I think you can pinch it from him for Higashioka where he only has to catch a few innings. It's not like he's not a bad catcher this year. He just sometimes struggles with, you know, balls in the dirt and stuff like that. But I think having him off the bench is, is still a valuable asset for the Yankees because if there's a bigger hitting situation where Higashioka's up late in the game, I think that's where you can see Gary Sanchez come into a game. Yeah, for sure. And we'll get to the Yankees a little bit more later on in the show as well toward the end of it. But obviously the breaking news out of yesterday was Henrik Lundqvist and his, you know, he ends up uh, getting bought out by the Rangers. It was the last year of a seven-year, $8.5 million contract for the king, as everyone likes to call him. They saved $3 million in cap space this coming year in 2020, 2021. And then we'll see a cap hit the following year of $1.5 million, which is pretty good savings. I mean, you're saving at the end of the day $1.5 million, but that spread into the 2021 season is what really helps them, especially with the flat cap. And first off, just just had tip to Henrik Lundqvist. He's a, the consummate professional, one of the best goaltenders you'll ever see in New York Probably, I would say it's maybe a top 10 goaltender of all time. You know, he was top six in wins with 459 in NHL history. That holds the record for the Rangers. And the one thing that always just was just so unfortunate for the Rangers is that it was never Hank's fault. You know, you, they just could never put an offense or a defense around him to give him a real chance at winning a cup. And to me, that's the biggest the, the shame of it. You know, we, I sent you the video, Luke, that the Rangers posted, and there was a highlight um, tape from and his name eludes me, so I'll, I'll look it up on, on Twitter. But it was save after save, and he just had to lunge out from way out of position, all these things. The the thread came from Dmitry Filipovich on Twitter. So definitely take a look at that, because it was just utterly ridiculous, save after save. I mean, and it really encapsulated how good Lundqvist was for 15 years with the Rangers. Yeah, and, and he's a guy that just, he just stood, stood on his head. I mean, every single run that the Rangers went on, it was Lundqvist and net. You know, save after save, as you mentioned, time after time, coming up big for them. And just such an influential guy on the franchise. I mean, he like he's a guy, you know, that when he retires, I think everyone around the hockey world's like, all right, like you have to respect what Hank did for, for the Rangers. I mean, he is, you know, as they deemed him the king uh, of the Rangers, you know, their best goalie of all time, as you mentioned, probably a top 10 goaltender of all time in, in the NHL. And, you know, for the Rangers, this is a move that I think was expected. But, uh, you know, I think for, for Lundquist, we'll see. I think... He wants to keep playing. I think that's pretty obvious. You know, 
it maybe it would have been nice to see him retire as a Ranger, but I can't really fault him fault him if he wants to go take a one year deal. Uh, as you you've kind of thrown out the Avalanche, I think that'd be a good landing spot for him to you know to have the offense. Uh, if he can just play, you know, one more solid year of goalie, maybe he can, you know, finally get that cup or, or at least chase a deep playoff run. And, you know, we kind of saw this year the Rangers let him have that chance but didn't quite have the talent around him in that kind of abbreviated playoff series against Carolina. So the hat tip to Lundqvist, and I think I think he'll come back next year, you know, with a team that is maybe in contention to win that Stanley Cup. Dan, he, he always said he never wanted to be traded. He wanted to retire Ranger, but he's 35. And he's still playing at a, a fairly high level. And maybe he's not the 60-70 game starter every single season like he used to be in his prime, but he could still win you games. You know, if he plays 30 games in the regular season, that, that's a solid number because you want him for the playoffs more than anything else. You know, you want to keep him rested and engaged for the playoffs. And Colorado's a great fit. I mean, you look at what happened with them. They bounced in, what, the second round to the Dallas Stars, and it was mostly because of one injuries. I mean, they lost everybody off that roster. And they were they were playing their third string goaltender. And yeah, maybe maybe the same injury would happen to Lundqvist, but why not add to a strength? You know, your your goaltender, your starting goalie is Philip Grubauer. He's nothing incredible. You know, to bring in a guy like Henrik Lundqvist, why not go for it? Especially you could probably get him for you know a million dollars, two million dollars for for a one year contract. Give him a chance to win the cup and and just go for it. Yeah, and even if it's a little bit more costly than that, I think for one year, most teams would be probably willing to to throw some money out. Kind of the, you know, like what Trevor Bauer was going to do this offseason is get a huge contract just for one year. And I think Lundqvist could do, you know, not a huge contract, obviously, at his age, and you don't really know what his production level is going to be like. But you kind of mentioned something interesting. Is he, you know, top three athlete in New York to never win a championship? See, Luke, I want to. I want to. We're going to save that for for the tease the next segment. I know. Are we? Didn't communicate it, but I wanted to well, tease you, you it. You threw it in the rundown. It. I did. We're going to save it for for the next segment. But all right, fine. Then. One thing I will, before I'll we, save we my go to thought. break because it's it's almost time. Is I'm going to be so sick of Islander after this week. The joke of a king with no cup. Up, 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 up. No, stop. Please stop. Please stop. Because just give just give him this time. You know, Rangers is not the most respectful to Islander fans and vice versa. There's a rivalry. I get it. But just let them have this one thing. Because he's the consummate professional. He never won a cup, so you can't hate on him. He's the most likable Ranger there is. Just let him have this. Because it's yeah. not his fault that they were bad. Yeah, and especially when, you know, we kind of went at Rangers fans a little bit when the Lightning won the cup because... Some of them were celebrating as if the Rangers had won the cup, which was a little bit ridiculous. So, you know, we got to bash the Rangers at the beginning of the week, but now I think we can let them let them kind of mourn in in peace. You know, let them let them have this Islanders fans. Come on now, because no Yankees fans and no Mets rivals, you know, were like, oh, David Wright never had a cup or a championship. Oh, David David Wright stinks. He didn't win a, a World Series. Like, just, no, just just both let them both have it. You're listening to the Watling and Owens podcast, sponsored by WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. Back on the Watling and Owens show here on 88.9, WNYO, the Laker Radio Network. And, Luke, I, I keep looking back to this Jets game, and we'll get to them later on in this segment. And I really want to pick the Jets. I really I mean, want to do it. Look, if you want to do it, go for it. I'm not going to touch that game with a 10-foot pole, but I, I do – if I had to pick, I'd probably take the Jets, but I'd just rather not have to pick that game. I, I got to look at some of the upspreads, and I don't usually do that, but I think I got to foreshadow it. I mean, 
Oh, it just looks so juicy. I mean, the Jets 0-3, they're playing a third-string quarterback on. I mean, it's juicy. You'd expect it's them juicy, to win. Man. It seems like Gase's head is on the line, so he's got to do something in this game to make That's, that's what, yeah. What's going to happen is the Jets are going to put up like 35 and everyone's going to be like, oh, there's the offensive genius we've been waiting for. And we won't, we'll fail to see that they're playing the Broncos who don't have Von Miller, who are also own three, are playing a third string quarterback. I mean, they can't, they can't even start Blake Bortles. That's how bad they are. Well, they, they just, they just signed him. They were never really going to. Yeah, he's at a week and a half. Come on. He's fine. He's ready to go. I guess. I guess. But we'll move on now to Henrik Lundqvist again, retires without a championship and, I think he might be the best one without a championship in all of New York. You've obviously got David Wright in the mix. For some reason, this article that I, that I put in the rundown from Elite Sports New York had Carlos Beltran at number nine, which, like, I guess, but he played nine seasons not in New York, so I don't really count him. Yeah, I'm I mean, thinking of more legacy players. You know, I'm thinking of the David Wrights. I'm thinking of, you know, obviously Henrik Lundqvist. You're thinking of Don Mattingly, who might be the best. I think he might think- be the best. In all of New York, to never win a cup or a championship, uh, I should add. I think you're Bernard King someone, is in Matt. there. Hmm? It's got to be Patrick Ewing. It, ha- it has to I, be Patrick Ewing. I got to be honest. I think chance that Henry stops him. It's, got, it's between the two of them. I, I'll say that for sure. I mean, Ewing is Mr. Nick, and Lundquist has been Mr. Ranger. So it's kind of a pick em between the two of them. And, I mean, for Ewing, he did play in an era where – there were so many dominant teams, so it was kind of, it's kind of tough that, you know, he wasn't able to rise above it. And the Knicks are also a franchise that has been starved for a championship these last, you know, 20 years or way more than 20 years, but with Ewing these last 20 years. So I, I, I think it's definitely between the two of them. Um, I mean, David Wright was awesome, but the way his career ended was just kind of sad, you know, battling through the injuries, didn't really play much down the stretch. You hope that w- that Royal Series, that the Mets would do it for him, but they weren't able to. So he's definitely on the list. And then Mattingly, too, I mean, so talented. But I think with the Yankees, it's kind of a different story because they have so many champions that Mattingly almost gets lost in the mix, whereas with Ewing and, and uh, Lundquist, they've been more you know prominent because those franchises haven't won for so long. But doesn't that make it more incredible that somehow the New York Yankees – in all their glory, were never able to win with one of their best players of all time in Don Mattingly. Like, that to me is what's so shocking, is they're a franchise with 27 championships, with all these accolades, the most championships in pro sports in U.S. history or in, in America, and this this guy, you know, Mr. Yankee, whatever you know, whatever his name is, the, the nickname, Mr. Donnie Baseball, there it is, never <laughs> won a championship. That to me is incredible, and... And just going back to your Patrick Ewing point is him and Lundqvist are so eerily similar. Both 15 seasons. Lundqvist makes the playoffs 12 times. Ewing, 13. And there's just a lot of similarities where they had so many great players around them where Lundqvist only won one Vesna in his 15 years. And he was, you know, a finalist like five times. So you've got Ewing playing alongside Bird and Johnson and Jordan. Never won people was just one of the best centers in the league. And you've got Lundquist who had to play through Carey Price back on the Watling and Owen show. Again, we apologize for some of the technical difficulties. We're still running through Google Meet after all. It's not a, a hard Wi-Fi. You know, I know yours, Luke, has been on the fritz a little bit. Mine's shaky the last couple of days as well. But we're back in it. I can see your gorgeous face through the Google Meet. And really, it's just the lower half of your face. Not really yeah, the face of the camera. But that, that's okay. There you go. There it is. There There's you go. the hair. Look, I mean, look, we're we're talk- we're not being seen by the people, so I figure like no. it doesn't matter how I'm positioned in my camera. 
that's fair. That's fair. I, I mean, we, we got to use the, the camera as a way to to communicate the, the the gestures. You know, those are important. And we got to we got to practice for for TV shows too. So I guess I guess I should I should get into the habit of it. We'll, we'll move right on with the Jets as we kind of wrapped up the the Eric Longquist talk again. Hats off to him for an incredible career. It's Thursday night football. This is peak Thursday night football. It's Jets. It's the third string quarterback. Both teams are own three. This is just what you want to see if you are a football fan. Yeah, I saw a lot of uh, takes on the timeline yesterday. You know, during the the, de- the debate, they were like, "I'll never complain about Thursday night football again." So we got we got the Jets and the Broncos and. Look, I mean, as much as I I do like to poke fun about this, this is kind of a big game for for the Jets as an organization because a lot of people are saying that if Adam Gase doesn't win this game, he's done as the Jets head coach. So does he come out, you know, coaching with that sense of urgency? Does he drop a good first 15 plays that hopefully doesn't involve Sam Darnold throwing a pick six on the first play of the game? And for Sam Darnold as well, and, you know, obviously – People said, uh, you know, Rich Media wrote an article saying Sam Darnold won't be benched. Well, that should be pretty obvious. I mean, Joe Flacco shouldn't be playing games in the year 2020. And this is Sam Darnold's year to, to see what he is. And it's been tough to measure. But at the same time, big game for Sam Darnold. He, try, uh, he starts to get some of his weapons back. Jameson Crowder is going to be in. Uh, hopefully he gets some other help in the receiving core. And then Le'Veon Bell slated to come back next week. He said he's shooting for a week five return. So, for Darnold, I mean, this is a big game for him and, and for Adam Gase as well. Yeah, and I, I just got a text from our former GM at WNYO, Carl Neff, who's listening. So, first off, shout out to Carl for, for tuning in. And uh, go check out his, his uh, what the Oswego Alumni Podcast out on Spotify and all the platforms. A really good podcast. But he says that the Jets are, as much as they're a joke, so are the Broncos. And Darnold still has a lot to prove. And I think that's what today's game is. You know, you say... The, the, the article from Samini, just I read it and I, would, I was shocked. Why is that even a topic? I mean, this is quite possibly going to be the last year that Sam Darnold is a, is a starting quarterback in the NFL. You never really know what's going to happen, especially if the Jets elect to take Trevor Lawrence or a, a high-ranking quarterback or Justin Fields. And you want to see him prove something. And without Von Miller, I think Sam Darnold has to have a good game. You know, this is a short week. You were embarrassed last week in week three. You know, the Broncos aren't a good team. They're not, and they're with a third-string quarterback who's starting really only because his his uncle won a couple championships in the NFL. There, there's no hey. reason to have him starting in the NFL right now. You know, Boy, no. Boise State, come on. We couldn't oh. get a Power 5 quarterback? Couldn't get a Power no. 5 one? No Boise State slander. Come on now. I have on, that, on that gorgeous blue turf, you've got right being, you've got – You've got Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator for Dallas. Come on now. Some, some notable question, alums though. there. Do you, do you think he can play on green grass, or is he only able to play on blue? Yeah, that that's going to be the biggest. Is this game in Denver or in New York? I think it's New York. Because if it's in New York, we're talking weird turf here. You know, we're talking the the ACL tearing turf. So maybe he just plays well on weird turf. Look, the thing about third string quarterbacks, they're most likely not going to show up. I mean, we saw it last year with with Trevor Simeon. But the, the the flip side is the Jets haven't really seen this guy all that much. I mean, you can watch as much college shape as you want, but Fresno State is a little bit different. Uh, of an opponent than you know an NFL team so a little bit of an advantage for a third string quarterback just because the defense doesn't know exactly what he is but again he's a third string quarterback most people know what he is and for the Broncos I mean they're a team that was supposed to be at least in contention for for one of the three wild cards with Drew Lockin but he's out uh they're depleted on defense as as you mentioned they're kind of a mess too so 
we've come to expect these kind of gross Thursday night games. I mean, when the Jags, we had Jags Dolphins last week, which ended up being fun because of Fitz Magic. But I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be kind of gross. I'll say that. I really hope the Jets lose, and Greg Williams blames it on the fact that he only saw like fifty snaps from this from this guy. I mean, what a joke that would be. If they're like, oh, yeah, like we haven't really seen him all that much. He's only played 50 snaps in the NFL. There's a reason he's only played 55 snaps in the NFL, and it's because he is a terrible quarterback that should not be playing in the NFL right now. Yeah. I mean, you're back of him. I'm sure he's a good, I'm sure he's a good guy, but he's just a first-string quarterback. And I think this is a game where we can measure Donald. I mean, not to the fullest extent, but look, he's, he's gone against some really good defenses to start the year. The Bills, the Niners, they're banged up, but they're still solid. Uh, and then last week against Indianapolis. So this is a Denver defense that's not good. It's, it's been very beat up this year, and he gets some of his weapons back. So this can be a time where if Darnold struggles, I think this is where some red flags pop up because he should be able to go out and play well against the Broncos. I understand he doesn't have you know all, all of his weapons, but I think getting Crowder back helps. He clearly has, has found a nice connection with Braxton Berrios, who's been a really nice find for the Jets uh, he's been there a couple of years, but really good for them this year. And if you can get Perriman back possibly as well, I mean, you know, I, I think this is there's less excuses this week for Sam Darrell than there have been uh, for the first three weeks. They're expecting um, Crowder. Perriman should be out for this week. And then you're looking at Makai Becton coming back, George Fan coming back, their cornerback Quincy Wilson is coming back. So you're, you're not at full health because you're still missing, you know, some key guys like Perriman, like Bell. But this is the closest they'll be to 100%. And for the Jets, you, you've got to win this game. You know, I'll say it again. And I just want to see more from Sam Darnold because this is a guy that just hasn't really shown me much. And if he can't step up and really do something, there's a serious red flag there. You know, the, the Denver defense is allowing almost 400 yards a game. They're, at, they're allowing six more than the Jets defense per game. So, I mean, that's a significant number. And I keep looking back at this this spread, and I, I want to take the Jets. You know, it's a money line, even pick them. I want to take them real bad, but I just don't think I can do it. Oh, come on. I was kind of hoping you'd pull the trigger there. Yeah, let me look at – They're going to win, Matt. They're going to win. They're going to win. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I can't see I them losing. I, I just can't see it. I mean, the Broncos are so bad. They're starting a third-string quarterback. You think – the Jets would figure it out one of these weeks. Like, they're not going to go 0-16, right? Like, they have to win a game. And are, are they the team Are they the team that gets this? Are they the team that wins it, though? Is this the team that they beat? Like, you can say something about the Broncos. Well, I got I to gotta say this, Matt, and, and I saw this question posed on Twitter. If the Jets lose against Denver, do they win a game? And I'm like, maybe the Dolphins? But other than that, I mean, I they're scheduled with that. Pretty tough. I mean, maybe they beat the Cardinals – maybe the Chargers, but they're not beating Buffalo. They're not beating KC. They're not beating New England. They're not beating Seattle. Probably not the Raiders, the Rams, the Browns. Like, I don't know after this week if they can beat a team outside of Miami. Like, that's how bad it's gotten. You're listening to the Watling and Owens podcast, sponsored by WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. Back here on the Watling and Owens show, Odd Man Rush on a Wednesday the, the rush might really be there because we're looking at about 1240. We've still got two segments to go. So we'll, we'll, we'll kick it off right away with some baseball and the MLB playoffs. The Twins lost 4-1 to one yesterday to the Astros in game one. And the biggest number from that is the Twins have now lost 17 straight playoff games, which is an MLB record. We're not talking playoff series. We're talking about games in general. They have not won one of the last 17. And we talk about the pain of being a Falcons fan, but – 
It can't be all that fun to be a Minnesota Twins fan either. No, and this isn't even just an MLB record. This is a you know four major sports record in in the U.S. No team has lost more games in a row in the playoffs than the Twins, and it's got to be in their head at this point. I mean, it's a tie game, one one going into the ninth. I think it was the the shortstop went to flip it over to the second baseman, completely yeah, blocked the throw. Yeah, loads the bases. Astros put up three in the top of the ninth, and there's no way you're coming back from that in the bottom half of the inning. I don't care who you have coming up. It could be Babe Ruth, Mike Trout, and Barry Bonds in the peak steroid era, and you weren't going to win that game. Just the They were rattled at that point, you know? Yeah, we'll see. They bounce back today. Eight MLB games today really has that kind of March Madness feeling, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of excited about that, that it has that March Madness feeling where you're going to have games on you know, all day long, and I think for this year it's really good for the sport of baseball. Yeah, I've got the, uh, the Cincinnati-Atlanta game on right now. No score, bottom of the second inning. Trevor Bauer on the mound. You gotta love, you gotta love Trevor Bauer. Really, uh, really fiery guy out there. I'll say that. He's got uh, a punchable face. Yeah, oh, the bit. most punchable face. The I've, most I've liked him face. more recently. You know, he kind of went out, went off on Twitter a little bit. Um, I think it might have been the Astros kind of scandal that really got me annoyed yeah. by him. But since then, I think he's kind of maybe he hasn't slowed things down. Maybe I've just like respected him more. But uh, I like him. I want that fire in New York. Steve Cohen, bring him in. And we'll move on to – that'd be a good – I, I would like that. We'll move on to some football talk, a little bit more serious. The Titans and the Vikings had to shut down their facilities earlier this week after the Titans had some positive tests. They had three players and five personnel test positive. Uh, the good news for the Vikings is they haven't had any positive tests so far this week. They'll obviously keep getting tested. But the Steelers-Titans game has been uh, postponed. They said maybe it could be moved to Monday night or maybe they just give both teams a bye week. Uh, you know, Commissioner Goodell came out and said, we're expecting this to happen. Um, and for the Titans, they shut down their facilities till Saturday. And going into yesterday, the Steelers were like, yeah, like that happens. Like, it's going to happen throughout the year. Teams are going to be disadvantaged. But, I mean, luckily they're going to postpone it. But that'd be very dangerous to have a team practice one time and then have a game the next day. So, luckily the NFL is going to at least postpone the game till Monday, but maybe even further than that. It'll be interesting to see, and I'm, I'm glad they decided to postpone the Sunday game. I mean, it's not fair for Tennessee. It is yeah. a clear, distinct disadvantage if you have the game on Sunday when they, they can't practice at all all week, basically. So it's a good move by them. Maybe you look to make it a bye week and, and change their bye weeks around. Another thing is, what if you just give another bye week at the end of the season? You know, instead yeah, of like, why not? 17 to the playoffs, you've got time. You know, you, you might be afraid of the, the second wave or whatever you want to call it, but with, with COVID, I think that the, the first wave hasn't ended yet, so there is no second wave. You might as well just, just give them a couple weeks off to extend the season. You know, the, the NFL dominates, so they could push it back into March and people would still be happy. No, and I completely agree. I was thinking about that on, I think it was Saturday night. There was a Stanley Cup game, an NBA, I think it was Eastern Conference Finals, Western Conference Finals game, or it must have been... Sunday and the NFL is on obviously and I, I was like I haven't watched a second of these other sports I've been watching regular season football like they're gonna dominate no matter what so I think that would be a good idea to add that kind of extra buy to have a little bit of a cushion for teams and also I mean the players never really got their you know their preseason their training camp at full speed so to give them maybe a couple weeks off I think wouldn't be a bad idea and we'll stay in the NFL with our next story we talked about Ravens Chiefs on Monday a little bit of a stinker, especially for the Ravens. The Chiefs end up winning 34-20. to 20. Lamar Jackson looked pretty bad. 15 of 28, 97 yards and a touchdown. A 40.4 QBR. 
Are we a little bit worried about the Ravens? It seems like every big game they've played, they've kind of come up short with so far under Lamar Jackson. I don't think so. I think you look at the the, the standings or, or his record, and he's something like twenty four and one against all their teams that aren't the Kansas City Chiefs, and they're like zero and three against the Chiefs, zero and four. So it's unfortunate. Don't get me wrong, but I think that this team is is too good. I mean, on my end, it just looked like the defense fell apart. I mean, they just could not contain Patrick Mahomes. And I think part of it might have been, you know, he didn't throw for a lot in the first couple of weeks. So maybe you kind of – you shouldn't say you forgot about Patrick Mahomes, but a lot of the times what I had saw was you're blitzing on one side and there was no pressure from the other that he was able to just escape the pocket that way and run for 15, 20 yards. I mean, he torched the Ravens' defense. I thought that Jackson certainly struggled, but part of that issue is when you're dependent on so much to throw the ball – and have to go through your quarterback more than just running the ball like their game typically predicates. Getting down early, that's kind of what you expect. But again, it's it's tough. You know, they might have just lost the one seed in, in the first round bye. But at the end of the day, this team's, you know, you still got to win the rest of the games. And this is just week three. You know, teams are a lot different by the end of the season. Yeah, this feels like a story where it's going to play itself out in the playoffs and the Ravens might win that game just because of how. It looks, and I'm a big Lamar Jackson guy. I really like him. I think he's a great personality and a great player. Um, I just hate that this fuels like all like the oh Lamar is just a running back uh, type of narrative. I mean, look, Mahomes was clearly he was clearly a little bit pissed off about what people were saying about him this week, and and he really balled out. But I'm a big Lamar Jackson guy, so that that's the one thing I just hate that this turned into like oh Lamar Jackson's just just a running back because he's not. He's he's a good passer. Like he's fine. He's an MVP for a reason. I think that solidifies himself as a pretty good player in the NFL. And you know, obviously, you want to see more from him in terms of passing. But he played a great defense. There's not much you can do. And we'll move. One more uh, story I want to talk about in the NFL was, uh, you know, we got a couple more stories. I want to run through this one quickly. But Kevin Seifert wrote an article uh, he published earlier today for ESPN. I, I encourage people to check it out. Really interesting about the NFL's kind of spike in offense. And he wrote that 59, there's been a 59% decrease in offensive holding calls, a 22% increase in defensive pass interference. You know, this could be due to, the, we've had some incredible quarterback play. You know, this is a passing league. But the senior VP of officiating, Walt Anderson, also said the league wants to focus on, quote, clear and obvious fouls, not the ticky-tacky stuff. And it seems like the league knows the fans want offense, and they're giving them a ton of offense so far this year. I mean, give me all the offense, but at the end of the day, you're, you're calling way too many defensive pass interferences. I mean, there is not that many in each week. It seems like every single game, or every, sing, yeah, every single game, I, I, there's a big throw, 15 yards or more, and it's a pass interference. It gets so ridiculous. I mean, the, the Bills-Rams game was a great example of it. It was kind of questionable. I, I still don't really get how you make that call unless it's super blatant, given that that would have ended the game. It feels a lot like, you know, in the NHL, in the playoffs, you only make the call if you absolutely have to, if it's so blatant. And it feels like the NFL is, is calling everything. And you say, you know, they're not calling ticky-tack calls, but they are just against the defense. And in a league that already favors the offense, it's tough. What are you supposed to do as a defensive back? Yeah, exactly. That's, I think, the, the biggest thing. And I, I love offense, but good defense is fun to watch, too. And it seems like every deep ball, if the defender has their hands on the receiver, it's a penalty. Like it, it's just kind of getting ridiculous at this point. Where I mean, you mentioned Bills Rams. It, it's like every little call has been made, and I think that is a, you know maybe an issue, especially for planning as a defensive coordinator. I mean, what do you tell your guys? I mean, you had Joe Judge the tennis balls in the in the hands and stuff like that to prevent the grabbing, but it seems like anytime they touch a receiver, there's going to be a call. 
It's it's so ridiculous. And you obviously see some kind of penalties come early in, and they, they tailor it back. They tailor it back a little bit by week four, five, six, et cetera. But something's got to change because it seems like it's every single play that is defensive pass interference. And we'll move on to the NHL where the Lightning captured their first Stanley Cup uh, since 2004. I thought a really good job by the NHL. I mean, there were obviously we talked about last week. It was tough to be in that bubble, but hats off to the Lightning. They kind of persevered. And the NHL, they have no positive tests throughout. They do a good job with that bubble. And then you have some clowns like Damian Cox. I don't know. I don't, who? Who is he? He says it's not that difficult to win a cup when there's no road games or travel. Says not to compare bubble hockey with the real thing. I strongly disagree. And, you know, you can say, you know, no fans, no road games, sure. But I think this just shows the resilience of some of these teams to be able to get through the grind of 80 days away from home, really shut off from all kinds of, of civilization. I mean, they went two months without their family, their kids. They missed birthdays. They missed their kids being born. You know, you look at Blake Coleman, he had to leave his four-month-old daughter behind for two months. How, how crazy is that? And you're going to tell me that's not hard? You're not going to tell me that there isn't depression in that bubble? There was. You're missing your family. You're missing your, your parents in one of the scariest times that you could ever live in. So for Cox to say this wasn't as difficult is a joke. I don't even want to give it any credit. You know, I don't even want to say his name. He doesn't deserve the recognition. It was a great job by all. And I thought that the the greatest part was watching the Instagram stories of all the players. They brought you inside that locker room. And there was some coach saying, like, um, it was like F Dallas or something like that. <laughs> and I was like, this guy should not be, like, heard saying this. Like, I was trying to listen really carefully because I wanted to hear if someone was saying something problematic. Because, you know, it's a locker room, you know, when you're in, when the cameras aren't on, you're saying something that's a little, a little crazy when you win a championship. But I really wanted to hear something funny. And but, you know, it was it was a great job. You know, you saw all the guys just cheering. And my favorite was uh, Kevin Shattenkirk from New York Shell. So just a very New York guy goes, they don't have a stogie. I <laughs> yeah, I love funniest it. Thing. I thought that was so funny. Yeah. And, and year in and year out, the Stanley Cup celebration is just it's bar none. It, it's the best, I think, trophy to win in, in professional sports and, you know, to, to pass it around this offseason and stuff like that. I mean, I absolutely love that uh, for, for the Lightning. Do we do we feel good for, for our good friend Ben Grieco? Yeah, I guess. Um, I'm not a big John Cooper guy anymore. But, yeah, go for it, sure. Hey, he won it all three levels, Matt. Did you know that? He's won every I really step don't of the care. He, he was also, like, a lacrosse coach for Hofstra University, so shout out Long Island. Shout out Long Island. Shout out the Syracuse Crunch. Crunch. Shout out the Syracuse Crunch. The the takes from Syracuse are so crazy where it's like, oh, yeah, like, you got to watch the Syracuse Crunch. Like, all these guys are on Tampa. It's like three of them. Yeah. And, like, yeah, they developed great. It's like Tyler Johnson. That's what it it, was. It's minor league. It's it's NHL hockey. Yeah. It's it's fun to watch, but you don't need to watch it to be a fan of Tampa. No, I've been to, like, four Crunch games. (laughs) Come on. Yeah, so a little great bit ridiculous. Team, great organization, but come on. You're listening to the Watling and Owens podcast, sponsored by WNYO 88.9, the Laker Radio Network. On the Watling and Owens show, as we wrap things up and get you ready for game two of the Yankees series with the Cleveland Indians, it'll be Masters Naka against Carlos Carrasco, both with ERAs above 290. Carrasco 3-4 and four in the year, Tanaka 3-3 three and three in. For the Yankees, you you hope to see peak Masahiro Tanaka. He's just been so dominant in the playoffs. Forty six innings of work, five and three, an ERA of one seventy six. I mean, just so impressive to watch. He's the kind of guy that if he can be dominant or even just average 
from terms of his playoffs numbers, this is a series that gets wrapped up in two games. Yeah, and I think Carrasco is a, a really strong starter for the Indians, but and a great story as well. I mean, overcoming cancer and everything. And I think that uh, for the Yankees, if Tanaka isn't Garrett Cole tonight, which he probably won't be, but if you can kind of be in that range of two to three earned runs, maybe he gives you five, six innings. You know, he hasn't, he's only had a couple starts this year where he's gone past six innings, but if he can give you that, you have well-rested bullpen. The only guy that pitched yesterday was Luis Sessa for two innings. So I think you're pretty confident in the Yankees going into this game. Uh, you think you'll get to Carrasco a few times, especially if the offense can stay hot. And if Tanaka can can be as dominant as he's been in the past, I think you really like the way the Yankees are set up going into this game, too. I think the biggest thing you said was only Sessa out of the bullpen pitched. And he's a guy that is, you know, a longer, a long reliever, a guy that you maybe wouldn't want to see pitching in a really tight game unless he's pitching in the third inning, whatever it is, like an opener type. So for them to have their entire artillery of relievers at their discretion and at their disposal, rather, is so important because you could see Tanaka go five innings. If he gives one run, that's a good outing because you can run guys like Chad Green, like Adovino, like Chapman, and, you know, just other pieces that are are really talented in this bullpen that you maybe couldn't have if the game was closer yesterday. And, you know, the the biggest question is, how important is it to finish the series tonight? I think it's critical because you're playing every single day these first two series, and you want to make sure that you got your guys arrested, especially with Judge's injury history, with Stanton's injury history. You know, this team relies on off days, even when a guy's hitting, even if the guy's a 15-game hit streak or whatever it is. You know, you're going to get your off days every so often, once a week, whatever it is. If you can clean up, clean house today, win this game, take a break for game three, or have that, that off day, that lets you rest your guys up, have your bullpen back at 100%. And to me, that's the most important part of this, is trying to go all out to win this game so you can avoid a game three uh, tomorrow. Yeah, especially when it seems like Cleveland, you know, they might be feeling a little bit defeated. I mean, it wasn't even close in game one. So you want, if you're a Yankees, you want to keep hammering away. You want to take this in two games because if the if the Indians win game two, then it's do or die game three. It doesn't matter that the Yankees just absolutely destroyed Bieber in game one because then you're looking at game three with Hap on the mound against probably Plezak for for the Indians, and I would give Cleveland a little bit of an advantage there. So you got to take care of business tonight. I think it, it's pretty big that you do. You mentioned the off days and also just keeping that that offense rolling, keeping the confidence up. And, you know, if guys like Judge and Torres and, I mean, really their whole lineup has been so hot top to bottom, and you're not going to get that every single night in the playoffs, but as long as they can keep two or three guys producing every single night, they really shouldn't have a problem. I like Carrasco, doesn't have a ton of playoff experience. He's only pitched two games ever with 11 innings pitch, which is kind of crazy because he's been in the league since, I believe, like 2010, or he's been in the league for, for quite some time. And, for Tanaka's playoff history, I think you got to give the advantage to the Yankees to, to take care of business tonight. And you look at Jay Happ, is he your, you kind of question, is he your game three, game one in the ALDS starter regardless? He almost has to be. You know, maybe you can push Garrett Gold to game two of the ALDS, but even that's tight. You know, you'd love to give him another day off if possible, but that might not even be feasible. Do you want to go to a guy like Davey Garcia in game four? Or is Jordan Montgomery the answer? You know, you don't really want to have to use all five of your starters, which, again, is so important about taking care of business early so you can get those guys in on sh- on shorter rest. And if you go to game five in the ALDS, I mean, that's a scary proposition. You don't really know who you're going to get to pitch because based on the setup of the, the ALDS, you're probably only getting Garrett Cole in for one of those games. And actually, I just looked. So the ALDS doesn't start until Monday. So actually, feasibly, Cole will go in game one of the ALDS, which is pretty big. 
because they're traveling to they're traveling to Texas or uh, California, depending the location. I think the ALDS is in Texas, so that gives. Oh, it's San Diego. I think so. Yeah. Well, either you way, want, you, getting, you don't want the Dodgers in, in LA. I think was the point. Okay. Well, either way, you're getting six days off for Garrett Cole, so That's he can crazy. get the ball in Game One, which would well, be huge for would, the Yankees. But if it's starting in Game, why are we playing three straight games then? If it's yeah, well, I think it just has to do with travel. Monday. I think they want every every team to have a a good amount of time to get to their location, get in quarantined, get tested, stuff like that, to give them so they can play those five straight days. So I think it maybe That's has something so to do with that. To me. I have no idea why, because you're the the AL is getting, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. You're getting three days off, and then you can't play. Whatever, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, that, that, that that's, that's how so, they lined up. So ridiculous. That's so that's so pointless. Why are you getting three days off and then playing five straight? What is the point yeah, of this? It's kind of weird. But you're I, just taxing your bullpen and your starters. But now. why not play three straight days? I mean, you're in the same location. That's what you do all season long. Like I don't think there's really any need for. You don't want to tax day. your bullpen. But you're gonna tax your bullpen in the next straight. round. But it's five, which is why you get the days off. Well, no, but in the ALDS, why don't why don't, you can't get you know two games then an off day and then the next three? Well, yeah, like that two, that two, would make more then, sense. That's yeah. what made more sense. You know, well, then you should have said that. You should have said okay. for the next series they should start earlier so they can have start, the day off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that yeah. That. But also, do you want to go up against the NFL on a Sunday? Probably no. not. <laughs> so I guess that, I mean, that's why then. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Then. They just don't we want to go against out. the big bag NFL. <laughs> we figured uh, it out. <laughs> quickly tonight, game one, Lakers and Heat. You got Anthony Davis averaging 29 points per game, which is ridiculous. LeBron, a mediocre 27 on his part. He hasn't even, like, turned up yet. That, that's what I'm scared of for the Heat. I mean, finals LeBron is, is going to show up, I think. Not the, the three and six LeBron. Like, he's always been solid in the finals, so – you know, the Heat, they're a pesky team. They've got some really fun pieces. I mean, who would have thought Goran Dragic would be leading them in scoring for this postseason run? But I think the Lakers just just too top-heavy. I think they take this in five or six. Bam out of bio putting up like 20-plus points in the uh, in the conference final. That was exciting. What, it was like 28, I think he was averaging, which is utterly ridiculous. And to me, the, the key is going to be him. If he can mitigate the damage that Anthony Davis does – that that is a really gives a really good chance for this Heat team to to win a champ to win the championship, but you know you got to shut down one or two between AD and LeBron. If you can do that, you got a chance. But I don't think you can shut down one of them. They're just they're just both too good. And some interesting numbers for LeBron. He's only won Game One of the Finals one time, which was against Dallas, a series that he lost. He's also lost, they've also lost two of their three Game Ones in the playoffs. Are we betting the house on the Heat tonight? I don't know. I, I guess that's why you, you wrote that in. I was a little confused, but eh, I don't know. It's it's exciting, you know? The the LeBron Heat story, I think it's exciting, but also you kind of bring up a point where it is kind of lazy. But to I me, it's, it. it's a LeBron um, Spolstra slash Pat Riley. Um, Pat Riley narrative more than anything else.